This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. Here's the plan there, boys. We've got to escape. <laughs> escape from Alcatraz. Uh, are you doing Sean oh, Connery? First, we've got to break into Alcatraz. And then we slap the woman. And then we get out of Alcatraz. Other than the, senti- other than the sentiment that you've expressed, Sheen that's the worst Sheen. Sean Connery I have ever heard in my life. Yeah, guy, you've got to get out the lock. That is broken. <laughs> that is only worse than when Sean Connery tried to do an Irish accent. Escape from El Catrash. Oh my God. Welcome to the last <laughs> podcast on the left, everyone. I have been hanging out with thespian extraordinaire Henry Zabrowski. Henry Zabrowski, you slapped a woman. It's not helping your career. Marcus Parks as well. Hello. Today, hello. today we are on to part three of our series on Alcatraz, specifically focusing on the escapes from Alcatraz or perhaps just the escape we gotta get off this mother oh God, fucking rock. <laughs> no you're that you're switching up snakes on a plane and the rock let's get these motherfucking eggs off this motherfucking rock now as we said in the last episode Alcatraz was built as a response to the wave of crime sweeping through America during prohibition until its end the administration of Alcatraz and the FBI claimed that the penitentiary housed only the most incorrigible of incorrigibles and I'll put this on them why so many jerks ended up at Alcatraz because if those are your standards that is who you're going to attract oh I see interesting (laughs) interesting However, some prisoners, including a few of the men we'll be talking about today, they were men who had committed relatively minor infractions, but they were sent to Alcatraz simply because somebody in the establishment didn't like them. Is that kind of the the, the duty of the same dude that we called last week, the, the, the guy, the booker of Alcatraz, the talent scout? The talent scout. scout. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, essentially, they would uh, put in for a transfer to Alcatraz. Like, fuck you, I'll send you to Alcatraz. And then they would apply and say, like, this guy is an incorrigible. He needs to go to Alcatraz. He needs to be in the most secure place in all of America. And that, you know, talent scout for Alcatraz would decide. Because Alcatraz is, like, was pretty small. They yeah. didn't mm-hmm. have a whole lot of room there. Uh, so, you know, someone would 
they'll call in a favor and say like, hey, this guy pissed on my shoes. Send him to Alcatraz. Yep. And they'll say, yep, okay. What if he's and, got a fucking open pee hole and he can't help but piss? Absolutely. <laughs> and you know it was a good day at your local penitentiary when somebody got the letter they were going to Alcatraz and started singing, I've got the golden ticket. I've got the golden <laughs> ticket in my felonious hand. And Augustus Gloop would go to Alcatraz for ruining the chocolate river. Oh, isn't that sad? Well, as far as what some of those small infractions were, a man named Eric Taylor was sent to Alcatraz for tax evasion. Oh. <laughs> Would-be escapee Alan West was sent there for car theft. And near the end of the prison's lifespan, a man was sent to Alcatraz for stealing a pig. Might as well steal his wife. Seriously, the worst infraction I have ever heard in my entire life, because there is a fat family in Texas that were planning on having a pork dinner and that pork dinner was canceled. That family got a divorce. And you know what that ruined? The entire Bush legacy. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jeb failed. Mm -hmm. And Marcus is, should also know how precious a pig is because you're a part of pig royalty. Your family <laughs> trained pigs to walk in a straight line with the little slappy sticks like on that one show in Discovery Plus. I know. The tap tap, the tap tap. My family are, they're very talented when when it comes to pigs. Oh. Absolutely. Now, some men were even sent to Alcatraz solely on the suspicion of being a troublemaker. Brian Conway killed a man in self-defense, but was still sent to Alcatraz because he was, quote, certified incorrigible, which really meant that he gave the FBI a run for their money. All I know is I can just see myself in the showers and all of a sudden... Oh my God! Is the pig thief around? <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm. That's how I tricked him into my net. <laughs> oh my God! These showers are horrible. But the I pig noticed. people are so violent. You're one big old long pig, and you turn around when I made my simple little call. You oh. big old wet soapy pig. I hate it here. <laughs> And when this guy was in prison in Atlanta and a mutiny was a brewing, officials shipped Conway off to Alcatraz just on the possibility that he might be responsible. Oh, but on today's episode, we're not focusing on the people who stayed on Alcatraz. Yeah, boo. You guys who fucking <laughs> stayed inside a stupid Alcatraz. Yeah, you want to get off. Of, you want to get off of that rock. Instead, we're talking about the people who escaped. We will, however, spend a good chunk of time talking about the men who tried escaping from Alcatraz, but ultimately failed. Because while the prison was not quite as inescapable as officials made it out to be, it was still, to say the least, difficult to leave. It was very difficult to leave, but I definitely watched several documentaries over this week that all kind of say the same thing. These San Francisco Bay waters, you might as well sleep in a valley of swords. This is is liquid lava. You cannot enter the water. Meanwhile, I typed in swimming in San Francisco Bay, and it's just a, the first thing comes up is a picture of an old woman in floaties. Oh! You can see Alcatraz in the background, and she's just kind of cold looking. They just say you have to wear a wetsuit. Now, from what the guards said about the men of Alcatraz, an inmate's first thought upon arriving at the island was how he could get off. But most of the inmates could never figure out even the first step towards an escape plan. I am way, way too juvenile for you to say the sentence. Uh, an inmate's first impulse yes. was trying to figure out how to get off we because know. immediately thought of him just jerking off. We as did. soon as he got to the rock, he got we aroused know. and tried yep. to touch his penis. So I don't even know why you say those sentences, Marcus. You know, I wrote that and thought that you might think that and decided to leave it in as a test, and you failed that test. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't fail it. I passed it. I got the answer right. You thought I was going to say that, and I did say that. I can't. Marcus is already becoming a teacher. He's got the thing. He's got his... <laughs> 
professor glasses on? Uh, crushing dreams. <laughs> well, out of the thousands of men who did stretches at Alcatraz, only 23 attempted escape in 14 documented incidents. And while none have been confirmed to have gotten away scot-free and alive, it's very possible that at least five men escaped Alcatraz Island. Whew. Now, as far as Alcatraz Island itself went, the waters around Alcatraz, while dangerous, were not quite as deadly as the propaganda proliferated by the prison officials made it out to be. Yeah, because your nana can take it. Really? The infamous sharks that supposedly circled the island of Alcatraz were virtually non-existent hmm. and so rare in the San Francisco Bay that one didn't even need to factor them into the equation when attempting an escape. The sharks were just to keep the dumbest prisoners out of the water. That is going to greatly inhibit my plan of putting a harness on a shark mm -hmm. and then having him sort of carry me to the shore. You're also talking about a lot of shark training. Yeah. You need a lot of chum, and that's hard to bring in and out of jail. The uh, They kept the rumor going. I was watching yeah. one documentary we had where prison guard was like, it's fun to see the idiots be scared of fish. But there also was a rumor that uh, it was probably more of a joke that the guards would catch sharks cut off one of the fins just so they'd be forced to swim in a circle around the island. I love Alcatraz jokes. Just so fun. <laughs> now concerning that journey, while the swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco certainly isn't easy, it isn't even close to impossible. Huh. Back when Alcatraz held a tiny town, two teenage daughters of prison guards swam from the island to the mainland in 47 minutes. Or so claimed the Alcatraz women's auxiliary. And you can just see them in the back of a Pink Floyd concert, just, just filthy, totally soaking wet. Just be like, it was all worth it, Becky. <laughs> and while that sounds like a somewhat apocryphal story, a cheekily named event called the Alcatraz Shark Fest Swim has escorted more than 15,000 swimmers from a boat floating just off the island to the shore over the last 27 years. And that's just one of dozens of Alcatraz swim clubs. All of this was done out of spite for <laughs> Alcatraz because people have been saying it for years about no one could swim in the bay. And now everyone's like, well... We all can swim in the bay. I think this anti-shark <laughs> propaganda has gone too far, straight up from the 1960s version of Batman, where they say the shark will attack you even if you're trying to get out of the water. So you need shark repellent to Jaws. And now this, I don't think the shark is a bad animal whatsoever and needs to be defended. It's not. It's the perfect ultimate predator. And it mm -hmm. keeps all of the oceans in line. I agree. Now, the swim from Alcatraz is actually so simple that a nine-year-old named James Savage... Four foot six and 57 pounds swam from San Francisco to Alcatraz and back what? in just a little over two hours. And he just broke the record set the previous year by a 10 year old. What? Well, that kid was technically thrown from a car into the bay. Also, he had to do it for survival. I'm not sure if the modern nine or 10 year old could pull that off. That seems exhausting. Yeah, for you us. do. That was last year. That was last year. Holy shit. It's what happens. That's the strength you build from getting cyberbullied. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Now, all of these people obviously had wetsuits and swim gear and such, mm. but the relative ease in which they made the swim proves that a swim from Alcatraz to the shore was by no means the death sentence that Alcatraz prison officials made it out to be. But you're also counting mm. on an Alcatraz prisoner. I'm just saying this, knowing about any single thing other than stealing pigs. 
Yeah. <laughs> because no, they don't know how to mean? survive on the in the water whatsoever. You can easily drown. I can drown in a tub if I'm tired enough and well, if I yeah, want to. You could drown in a toilet, and I think you almost did drown in a sprinkler system that you thought was a tub. There was actually a fountain. <laughs> you almost drowned in a fountain that you thought was a pool, it was, but it was just a fountain, and, and you really almost got kicked out of that hotel. It was physically impossible because the water did only come up to my mid thigh when I was sitting down, so it technically didn't cover my full legs. <laughs> I, it was it was a bad afternoon. I was hungover and I um and I was filled with magic. Yeah, for those that don't remember that conversation, he truly was. He he took a bath in a fountain and, and kids walked by him and were like, Mommy, why is that man in a fountain? And they're uh, like, It's wrong to talk out loud about men with disabilities. <laughs> now an Alcatraz inmate had to be either extraordinarily clever or moronically bold to even get in the water. The American mixture. <laughs> and most of the criminals who spent time at Alcatraz talked a big game when they arrived, but they ultimately failed to deliver on even an attempt. Mm. For example, there was Harvey Bailey, the so-called Dean of American Bank Robbers, who walked away with ill-gotten gains worth $15 million Woo! in today's money before he was caught. Upon arriving at Alcatraz, he said that no prison would ever hold him. Hell yeah, man. Stick it to the man, dude. Sure. He was wrong. Mm. Oh. <laughs> and spent 12 years on the rock. Well, okay. my question is, you steal $15 million, grease the wheels. Yes. I'm a patrolman. I'm making 30K a year. I noticed you stole $15 million. I also stole a pig back in the day. Oh, we thought that was you. Um... Here's a million bucks to leave me the F alone. Well, this was back when you it, have 15 it million dollars. You should not get arrested with your 50 million dollars. It wasn't 50 million then. It was like nine thousand dollars and two kettles of milk. Uh. Then. <laughs> well, Alvin, old creepy carpus of the Ma Barker gang, bragged that he could break out of any prison made by man. Oh, hell yeah, man. <laughs> Can't hold him down. Oh, no way. He then spent 25 years on Alcatraz. Oh, wow. You know, it's so funny when you're talking <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make a lot of statements. It's more of a, he was like, no, 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 that was a hypothetical question. Yeah. Can I be kept down? Absolutely. Can I be kept behind bars? Also, it's the mental prison that I was talking about. I'm free as hell in my mind. <laughs> then there was Roy Gardner, the male bandit, who'd become a criminal after a piece of shrapnel lodged itself in his head while he battled the Germans in France during World War One. What? Yeah, Gardner actually seemed to develop a kind of Stockholm Syndrome in Alcatraz, and he actually made security tighter by rigging a dumbwaiter in the vegetable room to act as a crab trap where the veggies could come down, but nothing, including inmates, could go up. But, oh, but wait a second. What do you mean, like, what do you mean a crab trap? Like, actually collecting crabs? No, 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 no. It just worked like a crab trap. You know, the where you know, they, were, they, can, yeah. they go in, but they can't come out. So, but where were the vegetables going? It's not it, it's not a one to one comparison. It's just like, I don't know how the fuck a crab trap. That's just how the fucking book put it. This is like, like, like it would work like a crab trap. Yeah, and I thought that maybe if I just said that it worked right like a crab trap, you guys would let it go. But obviously you didn't. Where's the vegetables coming down from? <laughs> Why do you care about the vegetables? The man is an insane person trying to do something about with, with the vegetables. I don't know if it's like kernels of weed in my mind, but I just watched a bunch of crabs in my mind just eating a bunch of corn in a dumbwaiter. <laughs> Well, even Machine Gun Kelly, who, despite his name, never killed anyone and was actually most famous for kidnapping an oil baron. Machine Gun Kelly was broken by the rock. 
Kelly spent 17 of his last 21 years on Earth as the Alcatraz cobbler and bookkeeper. And he exited Alcatraz with the much less imposing nickname of Pop Gun Kelly. Oh, that's not nice. Was it Peach Cobbler? No, God, Co- like shoes, the shoemaker. But I, I think the shoe man too. No, he's look at his subtle <laughs> smile. Look at his subtle smile, knowing that he had just laced some extra strength humor in the episode. <laughs> but while those men all seemed to settle into the maddening daily routine of the rock, there were plenty who attempted escape, and the escapes began before the island even became Alcatraz Penitentiary. Alcatraz means pelican. Pelican. <laughs> In 1918, back when it was still a military prison consisting of a brick building, four inmates snuck past the guards on Thanksgiving and sailed to San Francisco on a makeshift raft, never to be seen again. It's such a Norman Rockwell painting of like a a bunch of old timey prisoners just sneaking past a bunch of like guards (laughs) all filled with turkey like asleep. And this this is the story. This is the most famous story, right? Absolutely. No. This is absolutely. not the most famous one. No, no, absolutely. Nope. We're oh, going to spend oh. time on that story. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three other prisoners soon tried the same thing, but they were swept out to sea by the tide, <gasps> and a ferry boat crew picked them up chilled, seasick, and praying for rescue in the cold waters of the ocean. Oh, my. However, there were others at this time who worked smarter, not harder, at escaping the island. One prisoner who did clerical work simply wrote out an order for his own release using a forged signature. What? He then walked down to the wharf, presented the order, took a boat to Fort Mason, and caught a streetcar headed to downtown San Francisco. He made himself a get out of free jail pass, Dude. and he yeah. just walked out. In middle school, you never got a hold of the hall pass. No, like, I get a co- every once in a while. If you knew the right people and you made the right connections, you get a couple of blank hall passes, and then you fill them out for yourself. Or as I was getting, I kept getting pulled to the vice principal's office just to hang out. I think he was grooming me. You could be, could actually, be. he groomed me for success because what he did was show me it's about who you know and about who you might be flirting with who might be a teacher i hung out with the vice principal (laughs) as well but mostly the secretaries they were fantastic in that office but all those escapes that was before alcatraz became alcatraz okay once alcatraz island became alcatraz federal penitentiary escapes became far more difficult although they were not impossible Hmm. in 1937 just three years after the penitentiary opened two prisoners named ralph rowe and ted cole just might have pulled it off Ralph Rowe, like many men in Alcatraz, was a bank robber with a history of prison escapes, Mm. while Ted Cole was sent to Alcatraz for killing his cellmate in Oklahoma before trying to escape prison in a laundry bag. Whoa. That that is pretty common, actually. Yes, absolutely. The laundry basket escape. Because it's easy to look like a bunch of socks if you just lay there. Absolutely. But when Cole arrived at Alcatraz, he reportedly said, quote, And don't think I'll like it here. Doubt I'll stay long. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty scary, bro. That's kind of ominous. Whoa. Oh, they're serving salad Missouri steak on Wednesdays, huh? (laughs) You laugh at weird stuff. I didn't imagine Ted Cole to be like the Riddler, but now that you (laughs) mentioned... And as it was, Cole's stay was indeed short. 
On December 16, 1937, Roe and Cole were working in the rubber mat shop on the north end of the island, and when the guard left the shop momentarily, the two convicts raced to a window where they'd already cut out two bars. Once they got to the window, they wiggled their way out. <laughs> Is this the one where they covered up the holes in the bars with shoe polish? Because it's the thing where they would kind of, they would dig, 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 dig. This is yeah. old school where they dig out the bottom right, of the ship bar. It away. To, yeah. And then what they do to cover it is that they would stuff a bunch of shoe polish in it. Yeah. Oh, no. They, they absolutely, they had all kinds of ways to hide the, like, little by little, because you can't just get a hacksaw and just go, err, 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 right. and be done that day. You had to do everything just a tiny little bit at a time. Some of them worked on them for months and months. I also want to put this in the ear of our listener. All of these stories of the quote-unquote successful escape tent attempts at Alcatraz show an, an incredible amount of uh, attention to detail mm. and patience. And mm -hmm. honestly, if there's anything you're trying to escape or any deed you're trying to commit, it's most important to do it bit by bit, day by day, at such an incremental pace that no one knows what you're doing until it's too late. You are forgetting yeah. the most important and the most difficult aspect of escaping from prison, which is weight loss. You yes. have to lose yeah. a bunch yes. of weight. We learned that from the people who escaped upstate New York. They were on Ted a diet Bundy. for four Ted months. Bundy, yeah. yep. Also, Marcus, I have a question. They were in a rubber mat. They, they made rubber mats. Yeah. Why not take one of those out and use that as a flotation device? That'd probably sink right to the ground. Why if you would throw it? a rubber... Because rubber? It, I would say... If rubber you took floats. a rubber mat... No, nah, not... But it, unless it's porous. What? If oh, it's porous, then it'll flow. Porous. But if it's dense, then it's just going to sink right to the bottom. Because Really? Because, yeah, I figure a rubber mat... Yeah, that's... Okay, good point. Never mind. I don't know what floats. Hope. <laughs> Hope does, yes, indeed. <laughs> well, luckily, on the day they escaped, it was foggy, as it often was on Alcatraz during the winter months. As such, the tower guards missed the escape. And after the men got past the towers, they smashed a lock on a fence with a rock and jumped off a cliff into the bay. Neither the men nor their dead bodies were ever found. But four years after the escape, the San Francisco Chronicle published a story claiming that Ralph Rowe and Ted Cole had escaped to South America, where they were living happy and free. I mean, honestly, if you want to live on a if you want to live as a vagrant underground, just stay in San Francisco. Yeah, we have been. It's they, very could, they could have just gone to the freaking. But San Francisco is very expensive. Not if you live with. Not if you I live would a rather. I would rather live in Alcatraz than in the in the fucking tenderloin yes. on the street. Yeah, but well. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think, I think the tenderloin is better than Alcatraz. You just start sounding like a balloon. <laughs> well, you don't get three squares a day, but yeah. you can still. Three outs in a cut. Well, see, we didn't have fun in the tenderloin, but the people who were harassing us, they you were tell having me a good time. <laughs> yeah. They had oh, a the great people time. that were fucking each other in between the cars. <laughs> yes. So I'm saying you be the couple fucking between the cars and they're having a blast. If we were in Italy, we would have called that romance. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That guy that I saw in the fucking CVS with an gaping open wound on his thigh was having a fantastic day. And you would think he was there for, for Band-Aids, but he was there for Rockstar Energy Drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Now, while it is a romantic notion to think that these men made it all the way to San Francisco Aww. using nothing more than their grit and determination, we also can't say for sure that they made it for lack of dead bodies. 
See, one thing that is absolutely true about the waters around Alcatraz is when the tide flow is rolling, it's nearly impossible to fight your way through on either a raft or while you're swimming. Mm. Like while I was mentioning your Nana can swim in the bay, the truth is, is that's why it's good to have a someone to guide you while you're swimming is that you're supposed to go at certain times because the right. riptide can be really intense. Sure. Yeah. When those kids were swimming to and from Alcatraz, there was a guy in a kayak right next to him. You know, they always right. it's not that's the thing. It's not easy but you know these swims are all carefully tied timed out but that was just the raft molester to make sure that they were moving fast <laughs> yeah of course that was the person they were trying to escape <laughs> no it's entirely possible that the bodies of ralph Rowe and <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, you want to play the character of raft molester now because marcus laughed too oh, long. i see all the foam you did this marcus you left this you left this door open because he loves war- raft molester is henry's new snl character go closer I got a floaty, don't you want one? We're actually looking for someone more like Mango. Oh, yeah, they always are asking for another Mango. Well, it is entirely possible that the bodies of Ralph Rowe and Ted Cole were swept out to sea through the Golden Gate. Or their bodies could have gotten caught on underwater debris. Or if the crabs got to their stomachs, the gas that usually (laughs) brings... What? The gas that usually brings a body to the surface had nowhere to gather. Which is why you always slit the belly during a sea burial. Because otherwise, yeah, the reason why a body floats is because gas gathers in the stomach. And that's what brings a body to the top. So if you slash a stomach and a body that you're throwing into the water, that fucker will sink right to the bottom. That's great information. That is actually (laughs) quite interesting. So you don't need the cement shoes. Literally just cut the gut and throw them in. Well, I mean, they still might wash up. The cement shoes are good for, uh, you know, that that's good to make sure. But You're yeah, you a really want to slit that belly. Yeah. You're sending a message with the cement shoes. That's the whole point. That's like you, mm-hmm. the whole point is to see a guy floating there with the cement in there. It's kind yeah, of fun. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. And of course, there's a lot of crabs in San Francisco Bay and crabs are sometimes known to, to go at the bellies of mm. dead bodies. They're going to go for the, the softest flesh. Mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, perhaps spurred on by even the possibility that Roe and Cole escaped. Alcatraz was beset by a number of escape attempts in the following years. In 1938, three prisoners named Rufus Franklin, Thomas Limerick, and Tex Lucas bashed a guard's (laughs) head with a hammer in the model shop and made a break for it. The prisoners, however, were almost immediately spotted by the guard towers. Mm. Limerick was shot just above the eye and died instantly. Mm. Franklin was shot in the right shoulder, and Lucas was caught hiding under a catwalk. But as far as Franklin and Lucas went, they both received a life sentence for the death of the guard. Would you say that there was huh. almost a w- w- the vibe I used I seem to get from old prisoners talking about Alcatraz is that there was almost not a competition to see if who could escape, but this feeling that because the officials at Alcatraz made such a big deal about how this is an inescapable prison right. that we put those that have escaped from other places here, and oftentimes they have escaped from Leavenworth or these other big old spots, so they come here. So it almost kind of feels like this is the New York Yankees for people who. Who escaped from prison. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the rep. Yeah. Well, a year after that one, five inmates made a break for it. And included in that group was a bank robber named Henry Young. See, Young had gotten his fill of Alcatraz after doing time in the dark hole for a myriad of infractions, Mm. including, but not limited to, not eating all of his food, having extra socks in his cell, starting a fist fight during a ball game over an umpire's decision, and 
for blowing a raspberry at a guard. Oh, these that, are all fun things. That really isn't that bad. Yeah, just they made him finish his food. Well, what kind no, of we talked about it last. We talked about this at length on the last. Yeah, episode. yeah, no, I know. But I just didn't realize thing. that you got sent to the hole. Oh, yeah. For not yeah. finishing your food. I thought it was more like. It, like more just like they made no. fun of you. Any no. that was what Alcatraz. That's why we even started to really cover Alcatraz. It was just how strict they were. That's what their whole the whole point is. We fucking break the worst of the worst. Yeah. Right. Well, in addition to all that, Henry Young was also severely punished for banging his pillow on the concrete floor of his cell while leading his fellow inmates in a fairly straightforward song about a prison guard that went like this. They'll hang old meathead from a sour apple tree. They'll hang old meathead <laughs> from a sour apple tree. <laughs> wow, this is actually, man, you know, say what you want. This music is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you remember uh, that was what we talked about with Herbert Mullen? Uh, about how he would sing and scream and sing and say also to the point that it made Ed, Kump Ed Kemper really, really upset. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, in retaliation to the song, old Meathead dragged Young from his cell, threw him down a flight of stairs, oh. and knocked out two of his teeth by jumping on his face. I don't like it. This is <laughs> just all of that punishment for making art, please. <laughs> two other guards then took their turns beating Young with saps before again throwing him in the dark hole. Guys, maybe you'd like to hear my B-sides. Don't <laughs> hang meathead from anything. I am sorry. Please. I'm going to admit it. I do like that song better, but unfortunately, I'm still going to have to jump on your face. God damn, I can write a whole series of songs. So Young and four other inmates, including Ma Barker's son, Doc, tired of all this shabby treatment, escaped by cutting through the bottom bar of their cells using a banjo string coated with an abrasive compound that ate through the bars. Interesting. They were hastily making a raft out of driftwood on Alcatraz Beach when they were predictably spotted by the guards and machine gun fire came raining down. Doc Barker was immediately shot in the head and killed. Ooh. Another accomplice was shot in the legs and a third surrendered. The last two, however, including Henry Young, fled and managed to hide out on the island. One inmate was found near a cliff, frozen and begging for mercy, while Young was found nearby, inexplicably wearing only his underwear. That was the first instance of White Boy Summer. Um, <laughs> he, he uh, they, the reason why he was only in his underwear, this is the truth, was that uh, when they, they didn't have a plan for when they got to the beach. I was like reading this, it was this covered in a documentary. They didn't have a plan, so when they got there and they realized, oh, we have to make a raft, they removed all their clothes and cut them into oh. strips and tried oh. to tie a bunch of logs together and then because they're stupid and they didn't know what they were doing, they, it didn't work and so then they were forced to flee on the beach new. Doesn't the Lord make that plan for you when you see that you're on a beach and the only way off is to swim why didn't they just start swimming because uh, they were it told takes an that hour and a half they were told the base full of sharks and that if you go in the water you'll die you'll freeze it up so it really yeah. was psychological yeah because they, really was. they could have very well made it right marcus Maybe. If it was the right time of day, but it was really luck because unless you had access to tide charts, then you didn't ah. really know about the, the tidal comings and goings of Alcatraz. So it really whether you made it to whether a prisoner made it from the beach in on Alcatraz to San Francisco, it was complete and total luck. Well, wouldn't you know it, guys, you escaped with the right prisoner kissel. I've got the tide charts right here in my briefcase. 
Oh, there it is. They were in my ass. Oh, you get it. Good. That's where prisoners have to keep stuff. Suitcase. Yes, that's where they have to keep stuff. Now, security was... Actually, I found a fun, uh, a fun new term, a fun new prison term uh, during the research here. Diddy bag. Ooh, yeah, diddy bag. <laughs> diddy bag. It's where they kept their their uh, dominoes and their dice and all that stuff. They carried that, all their stuff. They carried their diddy bag around. Oh, that's fun. That's nice. Yeah. Live from your grave. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast, your dog. <laughs> that was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. You're going to learn about Bark. It's a company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats. And, oh, they love their life. And they love the, They love what BarkBox brings. Because BarkBox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash L-E-F-T. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on 
hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, security was heightened after each breakout. And after the 1939 attempt, most bars in the prison were made toolproof. And the locks in the cells were upgraded with electronics that made them that much harder to break. But while these improvements certainly slowed down escape attempts, they by no means stopped them. In 1943, a group of four inmates, which included Bonnie and Clyde gang member Floyd Hamilton, mm. planned to swim to San Francisco using five-gallon cans as floaties. Okay. Once they arrived in San Francisco, the plan was to open up the cans, because inside of the cans were four army uniforms that they'd stolen from the dry cleaning shop. So they could just put on the army uniforms, this is during World War II, and they could just blend into the wartime crowd. No one would be the wiser. Cool. If I am super stoned, it's 8 p.m., I'm in a cell, we're talking about this story. So far, so good. Yep. <laughs> this is a great plan thus far. And it actually was a pretty good plan. Yeah. Pl if they would have stuck to the plan. Uh, yes. Now, the plan was to make their break after the morning count on April 13th under the cover of the morning fog. But the guards stuck around longer than usual. And the longer the guards stayed, the more the fog disappeared. So instead of just waiting for another foggy day, yeah. of which there were many, the men lost patience, knocked the guard in the skull, tied him up and made a break for a 30 foot high cliff. They jumped in with their floaties and started swimming, but since the morning fog had indeed burned off, wow. the South Tower guards spotted them right off the shore and opened fire again with his machine gun. One inmate was shot in the head, but the fellow escapee did the right thing and dragged him back to shore. The other two, though, James Borman and Floyd Hamilton, he of Bonnie and Clyde fame, disappeared. Ooh. Borman was soon found shivering behind a boulder near a cave, but it took another three days for the bulls to find Floyd. Huh. As it turned out, Floyd had been hiding in a cave near where Borman was found the entire time, wedged in between two rocks. God. And when he finally shimmied out of his crack, he was wearing only his underwear. He was covered in lacerations from jagged rocks, and he was, by reports, sporting the look of a trapped wounded animal just tell me if it's wednesday i only came out because i knew there would be salisbury steaks he, he may have been able to trip him out and make him think that he wasn't human if he would have come out and started saying crap people crap people and they're like they're coming from the rocks Whoa. <laughs> but to be honest if you are one of the sniper guards at alcatraz this seems like a pretty good job well, like if you want to snipe people well these guards like they had a lot of chances they were all trained marksmen. Every single man in the guard tower was top of the top of the line. And Seems like it. That's where they put a lot of their money and concentration was like uh, in these snipers in the guard towers. That it was that one big reputation that Alcatraz uh, rightfully earned. Yeah. Which is you get shot if you try to escape here. Wow. Yeah. Now, although most of the escape attempts we've talked about thus far have met violent ends, and they mostly involved inmates hitting a guard in the head and running for it, mm -hmm. some men devised clever, long-term plans to escape the rock. And this one might be my favorite escape attempt of all. My favorite long-term plan is just to wait out your sentence. <laughs> that would be a good one. 
<laughs> and this next guy, he was not in Alcatraz for life. He had a long sentence, but not in there for life. <laughs> John K. Giles stole pieces of an army sergeant's uniform out of the laundry bit by bit over a period of years, <laughs> slowly constructing a costume without raising any suspicion. This is what background actors do, too. It really is. This is straight up that Johnny Cash song about how he stole to make up with the car that he wanted to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Of course. One yeah. piece what at was a time. It? Yeah, yeah. To go one piece at a time. I won't say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a cramp song that was whole there was a whole thing with mm-hmm. that uh, psychobelly. That's that's the first uh that's the first term, the first used term. The first usage of the term psychobilly is in that song. Oh, you just got mad. Yes, yeah. he did for no reason. <laughs> no, I wasn't mad. I was mad at myself for not remembering that immediately. It of course, that's why it's hard to have a conversation <laughs> about music even with oneself. <laughs> now, John's plan was solid in theory because it was simple, nonviolent, and quiet, like the best plans are. He figured that while wearing this uniform, he could hop on the boat that came to pick up the army uniforms he laundered and ride it to San Francisco, where he'd disembark as a free man. Yeah. But Giles, unfortunately, didn't have enough intel on exactly what happened after one got on a boat from Alcatraz, nor did he have any idea where the boat was actually going once it left the island. He just makes one big circle, just comes right back to Alcatraz. (laughs) Instead of San Francisco, the boat went to Fort McDowell on Ah. nearby Angel Island. And when a count on the army boat showed one extra man and the count at Alcatraz showed one less prisoner, Uh John was taken back to Alcatraz where the inmates called him Wrong Way Giles until the day of his release. (laughs) That's fucking cruel. It really is. That's cruel. There's no reason for that. We all know. And he's like, yeah, you think that this is fun for me? I do. I still have all of this captain's gear. I do love that the prison guards did like common core math and they're like, well, if they have one more, one more fake soldier on the boat, Go and do that. Uh, then we're losing one prisoner. That's a great way to learn math, isn't it? Isn't it? It is. Isn't it? Now, the next big escape attempt came in 1946 with the Battle of Alcatraz, discussed at length on the previous episode. After that deadly debacle, Warden Johnston beefed up defenses and removed all weapons from the prison itself. Hmm. Instead, he noted how the Marines brought down the rebels and therefore installed gun ports along the south wall of the prison through which guards could fire rifles from the catwalk in the event of another incident. Doing time! (laughs) I watched you to prepare for this episode, and this is true, I watched Jernus Goes to Jail. And the soundtrack to that movie is fantastic, and it's important to remember, criminal reform needs to happen in this country, and we need to see, it's through the eyes of Ernest Goes to Jail, because you know what happens if we try to kill these prisoners with a death penalty what you just give them zap powers oh that's horrible (laughs) and let's not forget that the pen scene in the courtroom is still one of the funniest scenes ever committed to celluloid (laughs) top five comedic moments of all time he was also a voice actor in uh in toy story yeah now after warden johnston retired warden swope took over and while swope was in many ways a bit of a sadist he Mm. also allowed more activities such as painting and movie nights Every other weekend. Oh. Well, the goal is to you give with one hand and you take with the other. So you you heavily you try to heavily prize the people that do well in jail and then you heavily punish anybody that fucks Mm. with the rules. Now, it's hard to say if it was the increased security or the expansion of privileges. But after the Battle of Alcatraz, the island had no serious escape attempts at all for a full 
10 years, the longest stretch in Alcatraz history. And of course, you can thank Cary Grant for that and his amazing acting. Why would you leave The Rock when he is performing on Tuesday's movie night? <laughs> oh, you're talking about the movie, just the, the star power of Cary Grant. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, sure. And also, I would I w- stay. If they were playing a movie that I liked in prison, I was planning an escape. I would wait until I watched the movie that I liked. Absolutely. Because yeah. the movies were more rare then. Exactly. Also, the food was good. Yeah, food was great. There was, however, one last serious escape attempt before the incident that effectively shut down the rock. That happened in 1958. It was perpetrated by Clyde Johnson and Aaron Burgett, although neither man would survive the break. Now, concerning these two criminals, as author J. Campbell Bruce described Clyde Johnson, his weaknesses were flashy cars, whiskey mixed with lemon juice, and a plump blonde named Butcher Knife Billy Glaze. I like Clyde Johnson. That's a, that would be a friend of mine. He's a cool guy. I don't know about the whiskey with, what was it, lime juice? A whiskey with lemon juice. You can have a little bit. If you have a little yeah. lemon juice with ice in it, you got it like a nice, like, fragrant, like, bourbon, a little sweet. I mean, nice. Yeah, it was prohibition, I guess. No, Johnson not does at sound, this point. No, not at this point. Yeah. yeah. No, Johnson does sound like a cool guy. The reason why it took him so long to get caught was because he was quiet, well-mannered, and courteous during his holdups, as opposed to the more bombastic bank robbers of the time. Okay. He just simply, people usually thought he was joking, where he'd just walk up and say, like, uh, please uh, empty out your register. And they're like, oh, you, you're such a card. And then he'd pull out a gun and be like, no, I need you to empty it out right now. And then they go, okay. Something about the casual, gentlemanly-like bank robber is such, like, it is still kind of like, ooh, it's fun. It's like, (laughs) it's classic. (laughs) It's It's kind of American tradition. But Johnson's luck ran out like most men's did, and Alcatraz soon became his home. Johnson had been on the island for nine years, but in year number nine, he was put on garbage detail with a criminal named Aaron Burgett, nicknamed Wig, Due to his long blonde curls. Don't you dare say that these curls ain't natural. If you even <laughs> dare look at my head and even seem to think I have a lace front, because I don't. Let me just. Uh, oh, with strong wind. You, <laughs> look, you look great. You look great. I'm a natural blonde. That's not a comb over. That is nice. Well, according to Wig's father, he had been a mighty good boy who went to church, never drank, and made an honest living picking cotton until he got mixed up with a no-account woman. I never been bald. <laughs> <laughs> this so-called no-account woman took Wig from Banner, Missouri to St. Louis, where Wig joined a gang and got picked up for a postal robbery with eight loaded guns in his car. It's what you do to impress a woman. One guy tries to kill a president, and the next guy, next guy you know... Works on a podcast network. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Different types. Now, Johnson and Wiggs' plan to escape Alcatraz wasn't complicated. They threatened a guard with a shiv while they were on a garbage detail. They tied him up and they headed straight for the water. And bereft of a real plan, Johnson was found half an hour later chattering his teeth while saying they made a good try, but it just didn't work. Hmm. Wig, however, was not found for another two weeks because Wig was the first and only man to have been confirmed to have drowned during his escape from Alcatraz Island. Oh Damn. my God, that water must have been so cold. His scalp must have separated from his from his skull because <laughs> there seems to be his floating, beautiful, natural hair was just found on the beach. It was a wig the whole time. <laughs> He's also a liar. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Now, there were a lot of ways to fuck up the swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco, but Wig made the worst mistake one could possibly make. See, Wig wasn't too bright, and he figured that since the water was cold, the obvious solution would be to wear a lot of clothes. Oh, no. <laughs> he wore heavy shoes, an extra oh, pair yeah. of socks, that and an stupid. extra pair of long cotton drawers. And all and he also tie he also taped up the cuffs to his pants to make it see to make it like, oh no, they won't get in through these pants if I tape it up. They won't just fucking soak right on through. No. But he ended up just what he ended up actually making weights for his legs. Everything mm-hmm. turned into a big long weight. He got waterlogged and he sunk straight down to the bay. And when they found his body, he was still wearing the homemade wooden fins that he'd affixed to his shoes, which only made him heavier. Just the look on his surprised, bald face, like at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, it's almost... Oh, it, I almost have sympathy because it's so dumb. He's it's, so stupid. He's so very, very stupid. Yeah. Aww. Now, Wig had been the 18th man who tried to escape the rock. Five had died and two had vanished. But most had, in fact, been beaten by the cold waters that formed Alcatraz's natural barrier. But in 1962, three men would execute their escape attempt with complete preparation and supreme confidence. And while some argue that they drowned in the bay... It seems more and more likely as time goes on that in 1962, Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers escaped from Alcatraz. Whoa, cool. This is, a, this is again, like Robert Shroud, such crime history. And of yeah. all the movies, like how we said how Birdman from Alcatraz, how we said Birdman of Alcatraz, you know, made Robert Stroud appear to be a guy who had his shit together. And it's like a handsome movie star and all the shit. Sure. Escape from Alcatraz to me, really fits the story. Like, you know, yeah. Clint Eastwood is great in that movie, and it, it's such a good, uh, I don't know, It's a, I, I love this part of crime history. I mean, awesome. the, the guy that we're talking about, Frank Morris, he was played by Clint Eastwood. Woo! So just to have, fucking have it, like, that's that's what kind of man Frank War- Morris was. I'm sick of Salisbury Steak. I'll talk to a chair as much as I want. You are such a cool guy, Clint. Live <laughs> from your grave. Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some chop. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chop. And it started off my day. Correct. Texas Pete. Sauce like you mean it. 
Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast on the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with your seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. Now, Frank Morris wasn't necessarily a bad person, but he was certainly a lifelong criminal. Coming in just under the genius line with an IQ of 133, Frank was primarily a burglar with a long history of successful escapes. He's just one of those guys who's always been in jail. He's been in and out of jail. He's a career criminal. Right. Yeah. See, just before being sent to Alcatraz, Frank Morris was doing a 10-year stretch at Angola for robbery and possession of marijuana. Oh, no. And while working in the fields cutting sugarcane, he and a fellow inmate named William Martin disappeared. They made their way to New Orleans, where they cased a bank in the small town of Slidell, just across Lake Pontchartrain. Once the plan was formulated, Frank, William, and another partner named Earl Bronke sprung into action <gasps> on Thanksgiving night. I don't know why so many fucking things happen on Thanksgiving night. I think it's because um, it's a dead time and people normally stay home. Yeah. 
On Thanksgiving night, they bored a hole in the rear wall of the bank, burned open two vaults, and came away with a haul of over $6,000. Hey. Only problem, though, was that it was $6,000 in coins. That's a pain in the ass. (laughs) And also, how do you get that all out? He must have had to put that into some kind of truck or some shit. That's very heavy. Very It had to have just been like silver dollars. It had to have just been all, but still, $6,000, even if it was completely silver dollars, that's still $6,000 silver dollars. It's also very suspicious when when one bank knows that they lost $6,000 in coins, and then everybody go like... Yes, one rules worse, please. Then he just, <laughs> just this many. You know, he just like put the little pile. Just dragging in a garbage bag behind you all of the coins. <laughs> Everywhere you go. Now, the gang lived as high of a life as coins allowed for a month and a half. Yeah, all the but gumballs the- you could eat, all the <laughs> sticky hands. <laughs> but the FBI soon tracked them down to a motor court southwest of Baton Rouge, where the three men were found sharing company with three ladies. Sex. Oh, my. For the escape and the added charge of bank robbery, the soft-spoken and generally quiet Frank Morris was sent to Alcatraz, where he soon made unlikely friends with a chatty inmate named Alan West, who'd been sent to Alcatraz for driving a stolen car across state lines. Oh, it's like yin and yang. They have fun together. He's quiet. He's loud. Together, they are normal. (laughs) Within 10 months, though, Frank Morris was joined by a couple of familiar faces. In October of 1960, the Anglin brothers, John and Clarence, arrived from the federal pen in Atlanta, where both had just happened to have served time with Frank in the past. Now, the Anglins were bank robbers from a town in Florida called Little Manatee, who'd been nabbed. (laughs) (laughs) That was my nickname in high school. (laughs) I could see it. (laughs) They'd been nabbed for sticking up a bank in Alabama for $19,000 following an escape from the Florida State Prison. And that escape from Florida State Prison had been Clarence's fourth prison break. Just lay low. Have they ever heard of the term lay low? They're too free, man. They're too excitable. They can't be held oh. down by these balls. These guys aren't ta- taking shit from nobody, like bro. They could have yeah. just gone, gotten a cabin, lived on the farm, whatever it may have been for the rest of their life. These are the type of crimes. I'm not going to celebrate, but they, to me, these are the funnest crimes, like yes. bank yeah. robbery and also where no one's getting murdered. Or no, Absolutely. No, it's, it's just the bank getting money taken from them. It's like, good, go take their money. <laughs> And even after getting popped for the bank job in Alabama, the Anglins tried escaping Leavenworth by hiding themselves in a box packed with bread. But both were caught when the supervisor noticed the men loading the box into a truck were struggling to lift it. It's like, all right, now quit practicing your damn pantomime. I know this ain't heavier than it's supposed to be. You damn pantomimes are hypnotizing me with your soundless and your wordless motions. Either that or two people are trying to escape. You're fired. (laughs) Now, as opposed to Morris, who was a meticulous planner, more on the introspective side, the Anglins were described as cunning, impulsive, swamp country throwbacks. (laughs) (laughs) But for whatever reason... Morris, the Anglins, and Alan West were the perfect foursome to pull off what is most likely the only successful escape from Alcatraz. Wow. I got kind of emotional reading the one part where the the brothers were separated for a long time in different prisons and how, like, coming to Alcatraz together was like a reunion for them. Oh, that's nice. Like, it's this weird thing where they got to see each other. Like, that's got to be one of those, like, prison friendships seem to be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You see guys in certain stints, but then, you know, later on he goes and he, you know, like... He kills a whole family or something. 
something, but then you sure. can see him again. Then you get to see him again. That's nice. Yeah, it's like in Life After Lockup, where uh, you know, where or Love After Lockup, or Life After Lockup, depending on which season you're watching. Sure. But it's like when the ladies uh, stay in touch with their former cellmate and they call each other their bunkies. That's cute. Oh, it's hi, my bunkie. bunkie. Or wifey, to... either one. Ooh, oh, wifey is when they had a lot of fun. Scissoring. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Now, by 1960, Alcatraz had loosened up quite a bit when it came to the rules. The new warden was a good-natured fella named Olin G. Blackwell, who quite oddly remade Alcatraz in the image of a school for wayward girls. All right, the Alcatraz mixed with the wayward girls begins to feel like the kink.com set. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea. So this guy was a real reformist. He was. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. He, he was a good-natured man, and it, with Alcatraz, or probably with any prison, you know, the, the prison reflects the warden and what's sure, inside yeah. the warden and the, the decisions that are made. Oof. But looking to redirect the men's anger, he put brittle plastic crocheting and knitting needles up for sale in the commissary, along with yarns of all hues and instruction booklets on how to tackle needlework. Before long, knitting and crocheting were trends in Alcatraz, and each night before bedtime, the soft click-clack of knitting needles could be heard through the halls of the prison, Aww. as some of the most hardened criminals in America crocheted doilies and knitted bedspreads to be sent out as gifts for friends and family. And hey, Ted! Hey, yeah. Ted, look! Yeah. Little swastikas! <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I ever feel like we're the first hipsters. This is so cool. I love that we're kind of like neo-fascists, but like, we're kind of, we knit. I'm a soft boy Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> Well, perhaps relaxed by that soothing clicking and clacking, the guards also just sort of laid back. Hmm. See, in the past, Alcatraz guards would constantly patrol the halls during the four hours prisoners spent in their cells before lights out. By 1960, though, the guards rarely got up from their stools. And even when they did patrol the corridors, cell checks had devolved into little more than quick glances. From what J. Campbell Bruce wrote, while the gunmen and the guard towers were always ready with machine guns, the feeling on the inside mm. was that the doors are locked, everything's tight, and the men are embroidering doilies. <laughs> strange, strange, strange times at Alcatraz. And naturally, this loosening of the rules had a cascading effect. Men playfully threw watered up balls of bread at the guards in the mess. They talked to their neighbors and friends at their <sighs> cell fronts openly and loudly. And convicts with banjos, guitars, accordions, and coronets jammed with abandon almost every night of the week. You just threw me back into the Weiwei machine because I used to fight. You, that's how you catch carp. Yeah. You wad up little white bread, you throw that in there, and you can get yourself a carp, or I guess you can throw it at a prison guard. Either way, they're angry. <laughs> I do think that there is some term for carp in prison. I think it literally does mean like a type of homemade condom or something. I, I, don't I, I might know. be incorrect, but I do believe that that is a term. A homemade condom in prison? Yeah, where it's just like a leather glove, like one finger of it. Now that you can reuse it. You can wash it out. Someone email sidestorieslpotl at gmail.com. They should sell condoms in prison, given the nature of what happens in prison. I think it'd be good. But I don't think that they do, because technically that is illegal to do in prison. But also, men can't get prison. Pregnant. Yeah, but there's a series of other things. Happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think prisons are necessarily filled with the type of men who use condoms. Yeah. You never know, though. You never it's know. It's about changing culture. These people are knitting. <laughs> <laughs> 
In other words, it's not hard to see why Alcatraz was ripe for another escape attempt, and the means for escape came in the form of an inmate electrician named Willard Winhoven. See, Winhoven had removed a fan over a ventilator shaft over B Block in 1957, oh. but it never replaced the fan, which left an escape route onto the roof if one could get into the shaft. Now, Frank Morris, the mastermind behind this whole plot, heard about this shaft from his new friend, Alan West, but he needed to find a way to easily and quietly sidle his way in, up, and out. Supposedly, the eureka moment for Morris came one day while he was clipping his fingernails in his cell. Using the gunk cleaner on his clippers, Morris found that he could chip away at the metal ventilation grill in his cell, or chip away at the, you know, the plaster around it. Sure. So he rightly figured that all he had to do to access the open grate leading to the roof was to slowly dig the grill out of the wall a little bit at a time. But he also knew that this would take fucking forever and he'd have to hide yeah. what he was doing in the meantime. And the solution to this problem was provided by Alan West. See, Alan played the accordion. And since accordion cases are quite large, Frank could use one to hide his work at night should the bulls glance in. So Frank took up the accordion. Yeah, I guess I could start playing the Polish violin. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of something more annoying than being in prison and having your celly <laughs> constantly <laughs> playing the accordion. I would, <laughs> yeah, we're not annoying. elephants marching in a 4th of July parade. Could you please stop playing that? Also, this is where we start to see all of the bits in every comedy movie that you love of prisoners slowly hiding where, like where the dust goes. Yeah. I want to say this was a Naked Gun three. There, they have yeah. those bits where it's just like he keep wherever Frank goes to lunch and he has to d drop all of the various soot out of yeah. his like yeah. his uh, sleeve yes. and shit. And this is the actual story that all of those bits that are based might on. be wrongfully accused. Could be. Hmm. Well, once the plan was formulated, John and Clarence Anglin joined Alan West and Frank Morris, and each man began digging out the grill in their respective cell piece by piece so they could all escape Alcatraz together. As far as what they did with the debris, they avoided flushing it down the toilet so as to not draw the attention of a plumber. Instead, the men never chipped off more than what they could fit in their pocket without creating a bulge. And the debris was dusted out into the yard. This is important. It's pa it's paying attention and attention to detail. Yeah. And, and having a lot of patience. If you're willing to just do it piece by piece by piece, no one will Take know whatever it is you're doing. Take your mm -hmm. time. Be slow the, with it. The process of removing the grills took six months. Yep. Woo! And that was even after Frank Morris created a more efficient digging implement by welding his nail clipper to a spoon using matches wrapped in rubber bands to melt silver shavings that connected the two instruments. Wow. They're fucking, he really was very clever. Very creative. Yes. But once Morris dug out the grill, he found that the grill was welded to four pieces of strap iron embedded into the concrete. Uh -oh. Someone had already thought maybe they're going to try to get out through the fucking grill, but they didn't do a good enough job because all it took to pop that grill off was a wedge fashioned out of a broom handle. He nice. popped it in there, stomped on it, strap iron cracked, and the grill was off the wall. You know what I would have done? Fill it with bees. 
bees. The whole thing on the inside of the building is this nothing is but bees. Listen, honestly, it's Kissel, inside inside the building. You know that. In the walls. Kissel, I'm glad that you're here as a part of the prison reform movement. I'm glad that you're here. These are bees. The only thing about the bees, we thought about the bees, is that bees... One thing about them, they're not loyal to the guards, um, and they don't um, seem to understand. They don't seem to differentiate between what are guards and what are prisoners. The bees seem to so, sort of just be everywhere, and um, and are now um, attacking the birds. Listen, you motherfucker! I got eighteen crates of bees. I got to move, or my wife is going to leave me. Do you want these goddamn bees? She said, "Get into the bee business." It was stupid. She said, "The honey business. No one likes honey." She this said, "This is the Simpsons, right? Isn't that a whole bit in the Simpsons where he's got the bees? He's got to get rid of them." Am I wrong? I I'm sure in the one. Of the 500 seasons yeah. that there's been a bee, there's been so a Homer funny. is a beekeeper fucking episode somewhere oh. around season 25. Exactly. Now, once the grills came off the walls, the men had to replace them with something. So they made cardboard grills out of paper mache that was indistinguishable from the fucking original. And they made the paper mache using magazine pages, but they would only take out the pages that had ads on both sides. Because if there were ads on both sides, no one was going to fucking miss it and call attention to the fact that somebody was ripping pages out of the fucking magazines. If they would have told me this story in art class, I would have given a flying fuck about paper mache. Yep. Because I hated those days. <laughs> I hated I hate paper mache. Well, you blow up the balloon, then you wrap the balloon, and then you deflate the balloon, and then you have a ball that's trash. It's trash. It's a trash ball. It's garbage. I know what it is. <laughs> the original girl was then stored in the ventilation hole and no one was the wiser as far as how the process of making the fake girls went frank morris had alan west keep an eye out for the guards and if a guard was coming west would whistle home on the range which would be the cue for morris to hide his work and quickly take the position of a man lounging on his bed reading a magazine just covered in sweat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nothing to see here now, once the replacement girls were made, Morris and one of the Anglins were then able to shimmy up to this legendary air vent for a little reconnaissance. This time, a mere whistle wouldn't do. So West stood out in the hallway with his accordion, ready to play his version <laughs> of Come Back to Sorrento if a guard decided to get off his ass that day. Again, and that's the Polish fire alarm. This whole thing <laughs> is the musical track is all accordion? Yes. <laughs> That's the soundtrack to all of this? Yes. But much to the prisoners' dismay, once they got to the top of the shaft, they were met with what else but a rain hood covering the top, bolted down and barred up. Hmm. The inmates, however, were not deterred. Using a makeshift drill and some abrasive carborundum string, they were able to cut through six rivets holding down the rain hood. And once the hood was gone, they used a bar spreader to break their last obstacle to freedom. Part of the reason why they think they had such an ability to come up with, like, essentially new prison tech is their rumors are, I don't know what is real and what is not real, but it seems to be that they estimate 80 people knew about the plan. <laughs> to do this wow and, and everyone so, stayed quiet it was the, the people were lockstep apparently when there was an escape plan at alcatraz everyone's like how can i help because they're <laughs> right. excited because number one it's something to do yeah like, you get to help people do a task and especially if you're a person who's not necessarily like doesn't want to take the risk to escape or you're like you only have like five years you got to do sure you smuggle out some kind of thing there's like a little thrill to give somebody who's trying to make it to the outside oh i love smuggling out tools in my ass i've been doing it for free for a long time you tell me you can actually use this hammer and i keep saying <laughs> kissel you don't have to put it up your ass we're not in prison yeah well <laughs> it's good to prepare 
Well, the book Escape from Alcatraz argues that uh, nobody knew about this. Yes, I don't that know. There was, yeah, that, I don't know. Because they, they, they do so say, many... like, every time every time one of the Anglins or West would be like, why don't we, like, we, why don't we just ask this guy for this fucking string that we can get used to get through the bars? He's like, no. As few people as possible. As few people as possible know about this shit. Maybe it's just prisoners talking shit. Could be. I also I also think prisoners, much like much like high school, a lot of gossip. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. it's just them just saying like fuck it. They just like, yeah, I knew about it. I also <laughs> know who shot JFK and it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. It was a little woman I like to call Jackie Kennedy Onassis. <laughs> you know what? That's the first time I've ever heard that, and I'll go with it. <laughs> But of course, there was the matter of how to give themselves as much lead time as possible once they left their cells. See, even though guards didn't patrol much during the four hours before lights out, they did patrol after the men were asleep to make sure, of course, that they were still in their cells. So to make it appear as if they never left the cells, each man constructed and painted, again, a paper mache head and even gave each one the correct hair color and hair style using hair that one of the plotters pocketed after a shift at the barbershop. I would have put a little tooth, little toothbrush near where my my groin is to make it look like I was having an erotic dream. The the guy would be like, whoa, he's got a little boner. He's definitely sleeping. He's having another one of his erotic dreams. And then, of course, there was the matter of the swim. See, they knew enough about past escape attempts to know that the swim was usually where men either failed or died. Mm -hmm. So instead of just going for it haphazardly, they made a raft out of raincoats using a schematic found in an issue of Popular Mechanics. It was the How to Escape from Alcatraz edition. (laughs) Do you think we should publish this? I don't know. Hey, you know, people gotta know. Most people aren't in Alcatraz. That's a good point. By the end of it, the men had accumulated 55 raincoats, and each one was sealed to the next using heat from the same hot water pipes that ensured the prisoners would never get acclimated to cold water. Okay. And so, on June 11th, 1962, Frank Morris, the Anglin brothers, and Alan West made a break for it during the hour when the inmates were allowed to play instruments and sing because they needed something to cover the sound of them shimmying through the shaft. Now, is it true? How long do you know how long the entire prep time took? What do you mean? Oh, from the beginning of Of the plan plan until... Think about two years. Damn. Oh, my goodness. Maybe not not exactly two years. I know it took six months for them to dig out the grill. Yeah, Uh, and then all of the other That was the first thing they did. But then it's like, then after they dug out the grill, they had to uh, make... Figure out how to make a fucking grill out of paper mache. Then they had to figure out how to get the fucking rain grate off. Then they had to figure out how to make paper mache heads. Then they had to figure out how to make the raincoats. Like these things were done like one after another. They were not done simultaneously. Each little thing was figured out one at a time. And of course, everything done with a finite amount of time. Yes. I would assume. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So this is a long con. Mm -hmm. The dummies were put into place. The men crawled in. They replaced the real grills with the fake one. And finally... They pulled their accordion cases towards the shaft with a string so any bull walking by would think each prisoner had just gone to bed early. They thought of everything. I love that this is the same escape attempt as the Kenosha Kickers from Home Alone, where John <laughs> Candy was it. traveling. Like, literally, they stole this I, idea. I can't believe accordions are the crux of all of this. Mm hmm. Now, Morris and the Anglin brothers made it to the shore first, and by stealing four boards from a nearby stack of lumber, they gave their coat raft 
a little substance. They pushed off at 10 p.m. by most estimates, and they were never seen again. And there's a lot of talk of like, how were they tracked? How did you know, like, where were they were in their escape attempt? And apparently the prisoners that said that they knew what was going on is that the roof of Alcatraz was covered, as we've said a thousand times, Mm -hmm. birds. Mm -hmm. And so when they went up the shaft, that's how they knew they were going is that all of the birds started going crazy. So they went up there because they had to, first of all, pull up this raft and then they had to complete the raft on the roof. roof. So when they pulled it all up, they had the one final step. It was like, but they're also fighting birds up there. (laughs) Why not just scrap? It's a, that's a lot of bullshit. Strap mm-hmm. yourself to 12, 20 birds. They could pick you up. This is you fly off. This is real life. When men's <laughs> wives die, they die too. Oh, my God. I don't. Man, you just really bring up your dead wife a lot. No. Wow. Just enough. Alan West, however, had trouble. Uh-oh. See, he hadn't been able to figure out how to keep his wall from collapsing ever since he broke out his grill. So he'd glued the whole thing shut, thinking he could easily break it free at the moment of truth. Uh-oh. But while he could have broken it quickly, he couldn't have broken it quietly. And by the time he made it to the shore at midnight, his partners in crime had already been gone for two hours. Oh, he mm-hmm. was all alone. Boat pulled out. Well, they had a they had a, an agreement. Of course, yeah. like, be on if time you are on not that. ready to go, if you're not there, the ship is leaving. Yeah. yeah. And defeated, Alan West just gave up and went back to his cell. So now that we know that three men indeed escaped Alcatraz, the biggest question is whether or not Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers survived. Now, there's a lot of debate concerning this topic, but I found a lot of good information for both arguments in an article written for SFGate by Katie Dowd and Andrew Chammings. Now, Chammings comes down firmly on the side that the three men did indeed survive, and he has some compelling arguments to back it up. See, on that night, the fog was high, visibility was good, and the ebb tide at its peak ran only 2.2 knots, which Hmm. is apparently relatively low. Yeah, really, it Channing. is a lot of dot nuts. Yeah. <laughs> really? I'm not allowing it. Are you, are you, oh, so I can't. I actually don't allow that. I no. can't. No, you can't express you're, myself. You want to fuck? We're talking prison, bro. You're stepping on my fucking turf. You're going to make shitty puns, bro? It's you're going to fucking pun. come into my it's army? You're going to make shitty fucking puns? It's just dot nuts. Yeah, because he said fucking nuts, bro. Like he's talking about wind. Also, uh-huh. dot nuts fought. Was it these that movie with the chicken? Birds. Yeah. Birds. I are you talking about here. the incredible Mr. Limpet? Yeah, you no, guys that's are the one. No, that's the one when he up. was the fish. What's the one where, hey, Mr. Oh Chicken? It's like, hey there, Mr. Chicken. <laughs> hey, blow me, Mr. Chicken. Now you're encroaching on my territory, and you're encroaching on my territory. <laughs> Meaningless facts that derail the show. And Marcus, I can't believe that you did what he, what Mark, what Henry has done. Oh my God, I'm gonna meet you guys in the showers. Alcatraz <laughs> means pelican. I'm gonna fucking die. Actually, now I'm mad. <laughs> Really, Chamming's argument mostly rests on the fact that no bodies were ever found. By the statistics he cited, two and three suicides from the Golden Gate Bridge are recovered. And these are the same fucking waters that these inmates were sailing into. Okay. So while it is possible for one body to get swept out to sea, it's more unlikely that all three would be lost had they drowned. Furthermore, a modeling of the tides on the night in question, this modeling was done by PBS, shows that the raft, if it held together, would have ended up at either the Marin Headlands or under the bridge if they just let the tide take them. They would have made it. 
Okay. Speaking to the structural integrity of the raft, though, even if it did completely disintegrate, all three men were reportedly strong swimmers. And considering how much of a planner Frank Morris was, it's likely he trained for what would obviously be a challenging physical task. But how would he how would he train by a bunch of prisoners filling buckets full of piss and then he'd have to (laughs) swim in the piss? You can do push ups and sit ups and prepare. But that's running in place. You don't have to just Look at swim. This. this is difficult. Holding your breath. Yeah, but that's why you want good cardio. Hmm. Yeah. Now, the FBI did their damnedest to convince everyone that the three escaped inmates definitely drowned, despite a lack of bodies. Because if people can escape from this extraordinarily expensive, supposedly inescapable prison, then what the fuck was the point? The Salisbury steak. Absolutely good point. But isn't that a favor that the FBI gave to them? That Because if everyone thinks they're dead, that's perfect. That's exactly what they want. That's what they try to do. But then but the America wants them to live. Yeah. Of course. The, and the FBI is, of course, investigating the entire time. The FBI did an yeah. insane investigation trying to find these men. But they're also telling everyone like, nah, 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 they drowned. They definitely drowned. Well, in the background, they're desperately looking for any sign that these men survived or desperately looking for their bodies. And ironically enough, J. Edgar Hoover actually did have all of his uh, FBI agents fill a tub full of piss to see how long he could swim in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's different, though. That's, that was comp science. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's just him having fun. But as far as circumstantial evidence goes, two incidents on the night in question point towards survival. That night, a blue 1955 Chevy was stolen in Marin County, and a blue Chevy carrying three men subsequently ran another car off the road in Stockton. But perhaps the most compelling evidence is photographic. In 2015, an alleged photo from 1975 of the Anglin brothers standing next to a termite mound outside of Rio de Janeiro surfaced. And damned if it doesn't look like both of them. Dude. Hold, on, hold on a second. You don't take that many pictures in 1975, but they saw a termite mount and were like, here. You better it's take a, a picture. big fucking termite mount. That it's termite big. mount is gigantic. Um, but you also heard the story of when the Anglin brothers' mother died. Because no. they had supposedly all had been in contact over the years. Because apparently the Anglin brothers' mother had got a card every year on her birthday from a source to the, who knows if this is real or not, whether this is just mm-hmm. folklore, mm. but apparently she got a card every year from some anonymous place where they would come. They didn't know who it came from. She assumed it was her sons because they were all very close, but apparently at her funeral, I guess this is, I don't know if this is a story or not Two gangly, big, suspicious looking women <laughs> arrived at the funeral in hats Makeups in a dress. Did not speak to anyone. No one could identify them. Oh, my God. But they came. Is that Damon Wayans from White Chicks? <laughs> <laughs> they watched the funeral and left before it was over. Because the FBI came to the funeral uh-huh. to see whether or not the Anglin brothers would show up. Of and course. they just saw these two gorgeous women and had sex with them all night. Not even thinking it was <laughs> the Anglin brothers. Well, you know, sometimes boys like to dress up with, you know, in dresses and stuff. We've all done it before for Halloween. Sure. And uh, you do try to make yourself look as good as possible. So, you know, they mm-hmm. did look at each other be like is my lipstick right i mean obviously they're trying to look like ladies yes you want to look good well just three years ago a local san francisco tv station got a hold of a letter written to the sfpd from a man claiming to be john anglin who would have been 83 at the time that he allegedly wrote the letter he claimed that while he and his accomplices barely made it to the shore that night in 1962 all three of them 
lived long lives in South America, with wow. Frank dying in 2008 and John's brother Clarence following in 2011. I Damn. mean, the hardest part about escaping Alcatraz to live in South America is learning German because it is not <laughs> easy out there. But German's the closest to, it's very close to English. You can figure it out and you have all those wonderful, helpful teachers. Wow. <laughs> what are you in South America for, escaping Alcatraz? How about you? I was on the wrong side of the war. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why you say you wrote the letters because, you know, both the other two men were dead and he said, I have cancer and I'm not doing too good. I'm Frank Anglin. Oh, mm-hmm. honestly, though, but none of these guys were particularly malicious, right? They just got in no. trouble in their own jails. There's career criminals. I mean, so they, they stole money and they did kind of various shit like that. They were just kind no, of roustabouts. No, no Birdman of Pelican. Uh, of, no, no Birdman, birdman of, Alca- of, uh, of Alcatraz. No, uh, no. Pe- pedophilia. I, I So we can root for these guys. In a way. Anyway, I mean, I'm sure they weren't the most stable people to be around. I'm, I'm sure they would fucking stab you just as soon as look at you. They did not seem like friendly men, um, but they were definitely, you know, I mean, they weren't murderers yeah, or they rapists or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, they so they would tr- stab me. They didn't take a bunch of kids and put them in a fucking like ancient choo-choo train and drive them down far beneath Gotham City. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, these guys are kind of great antiheroes. But of course, these are, again, all very romantic notions. And writer Katie Dowd doesn't see the escape through this lens. She argues that while a title pattern did exist that night that would have pushed the men to safety, that title pattern had a very narrow window between 1130 and midnight. And by mm. what everyone can figure out, Morris and the Anglins pushed off at 10 p.m. And the title patterns at that time would have swept all three men out through the Golden Gate to the sea. And that's if they left at 10 p.m. Mm. That same model also said that any debris would have washed up on Angel Island, and debris did indeed appear. Within days, a paddle and a rubber packet containing photographs and a list of names and addresses washed up, which you would think would be something the Anglins would keep close, if they survived. As far as why debris surfaced when the bodies didn't, they could have again gotten caught in some underwater debris, and sometimes the water of the bay is too cold for bodies to bloat. Or so says the FBI. Hmm. Now, even if the bodies did bloat and float, Dowd uses a whole different number for recovered suicides from the Golden Gate Bridge, which might be more accurate. Instead of using modern numbers like the other guy did, she used the numbers from 1960 to 1962. In those years, while 30 jumps were recorded and an additional 12 were suspected, only 17 bodies were recovered. Do you think they just weren't looking for him that hard? Maybe. Maybe not. But as far as doubt is concerned, the biggest evidence for drowning is the complete lack of profile concerning the escapees. Each one of these men were career criminals. And while Frank Morris was certainly methodical, the Anglins were known to be a bit impulsive, which doesn't really jive with a low profile. This does, however, possibly point towards one of the Anglins recklessly driving the blue Chevy the night of the escape. Remember, they fucking ran a guy off the road. Also, they can change just because you're impulsive doesn't mean you're constantly going to be doing things that, you know, get you caught for a crime. I mean, I mean, unless you're on the run, they're they're going to be a a little bit more uh, hesitant. I think they could have possibly learned from two years of very meticulous planning what self-control meant. Maybe Mm -hmm. maybe in that way, Alcatraz worked. Mm hmm. 
But really, for Dowd, it comes down to the fact that even though their faces were in every newspaper in America, and even though their hometowns were watched for decades by law enforcement, and even though each person on Anglin's recovered list was investigated, not a single investigative thread was found. No thread, that is, unless you count the FBI's investigation into a rumor that Clarence Anglin was living in South America, which is exactly where Frank Morris and the Anglins were said to have escaped to. Wow. Interesting. That combined with the car theft, the impulsive behavior that followed, the picture, and the fact that we don't know specifically that they left at 10 p.m. means that for my money, they fucking made it. That's for Marcus's money. That's it for his money, and he holds on to it tightly. I also think it's the FBI <laughs> protesting it so much. To mm. me, that's what flips me into believing that they made it. Which yeah. It's them being like, there's no way they could possibly make it. Mm. And then you look into it and be like, you can't say no way. Because no. if they had it yeah. wrapped and it got them even halfway across the fucking bay, they had a really good shot of getting to the other side. And once they got to the other side, which these, I think other criminals might not have had the same amount of prep, but they must have had some form of outside help. So yeah. they either have figured out how to communicate outside of these prison walls, which was very difficult because their letters and shit were monitored unless they managed to truly do it in a whisper campaign outside of the jail, which actually might speak to more people knowing that it was going on than not. And the fact maybe. that if maybe if there was more of a network on the inside of the jail helping them, it might have helped them coordinate for shit on the outside. Yeah, and Alcatraz the the letters department had a ve- had very very specific roles. Like there was a role for no cryptic language. You know, yeah. if if it you couldn't can't be the t- guy with the thing doing a thing. Oh, have you talked to yeah. Frank about the guy? Have you yeah. gone and got <laughs> the fish from the market? The market's <laughs> ma- he's by the wharf. Right, right. Yeah, it sounds like it might be code. Yeah, cannolis. <laughs> cannolis are not code. Those are actually just yes. a, that's about cannolis. Now, as we said last episode, the movie Birdman of Alcatraz did as much to hasten the closing of Alcatraz as anything. But it was really the 1962 escape that convinced the people holding the purse strings that Alcatraz no longer served any purpose. Alcatraz cost five million dollars a year. It had a bad reputation for mistreating inmates and it seemed like every 10 years or so, some massive dust up of one kind or another made its way into the headlines. What was more is that another guy escaped Alcatraz in December of 1962. John Paul Scott successfully made the swim by doing it nude without a raft in colder temperatures. But he was too tuckered out once he got there and they just found him naked on the beach. This is like a thing. Once Usain Bolt sets the record, everybody can start getting faster than him. Yeah. (laughs) Is that the truth? No, I mean, it's once you have a record, people definitely try to break it. Mm-hmm. That's too bad. This guy. Well, I mean, I don't know what he was in for. So maybe it's best that he was yeah, found. Yeah. But, uh, you always want to check. You always yeah. want to check first. What are you in for? Oh, you're just in here for soap. Oh, well, you just stole soap. Oh, inside of children. You put them inside. That's where you hit it. <laughs> if it's tax evasion, I'm fine with it. So really, what the FBI and prison officials didn't want people to know was that the only way to make Alcatraz truly inescapable was to make it a silent, shivering hell on the bay. And since it didn't really seem worth it anymore, Alcatraz closed permanently in 1963. Mm. As far as what the original plans for what to do with Alcatraz Island after the prison closed went, there were a number of absolutely insane ideas. They thought about a Statue of Liberty West. Cool. That's cool. That's cool. I like that. A casino. 
Sure. Man, that would be dope That'd to go fucking cute. gangle to go gamble at Alcatraz. Yeah. yeah. No, for some reason I feel like gangling is better. Man. I think that's an actual battle. <laughs> that's what we'd be doing. I thought about a cathedral, a college, All a right. seagull refuge. Okay. I thought about just giving it back to the pelicans. Alcatraz <laughs> means pelican. <laughs> that <might as> well. <laughs> Two of the more like I would say uh adult ideas is that they thought about turning Alcatraz into a no minors allowed sin city <laughs> or a quote unquote nudist metropolis. Ooh, don't take the subway. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think that just sounds fantastic. And of course, they did settle on the greatest way to make sure that no one ever gets off the rock. Gift shops. Yeah, gift shops. And also you have to, pl- <laughs> you have to plan two months in advance to get on the yeah. rock. Yeah. While Disney wanted to buy it and let tourists be a convict for a day. Cool. Oh my God. This is really. <laughs> but do so we fun. do have to remember how fucking disgusting all of this yes. is? The yeah, amount of human suffering within these walls. But and no. then everyone's just like, maybe we could make it for Mickey Mouse. Look, I'm in the chair for killing a bunch of women. <laughs> Pretend like you're being executed, like uh, all those people were really executed. Oh, we all got to finish our plates. We got to finish our plates. Bro, this is crazy. Others wanted to build great monuments to the space program. That's random. <laughs> I yeah. like it. That's yeah. cool. It was also like they planned, like there was also a, a giant horseshoe shaped hotel. That was another one. A convention center was another idea. Wow. Sure. sure. But in the end, Alcatraz Island was left just as it was. Today, it's essentially a difficult to book tourist destination for grandparents and newlyweds who think ahead, making it a mere shadow of what was once the most notorious island in America. Yeah, now it's Little St. James. I can't yeah. believe it could have been a casino. I can't believe a Margaritaville could have been on there. That's actually totally perfect for it. I will never go and tour Alcatraz, though, because I'm not it's, planning two months out in advance. And I just I don't know how I feel about it. Isn't it? It's a little strange, right? That this this I like home to see of, it, though. This home it's, it's of suffering, though, cool. is like I paid 25 bucks to go there, if not more. And then I bought this cool shirt. It's cool, but it's not as cool as you think it'd be. Marcus uh, took two planes to see Auschwitz. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yes. Yeah, but Auschwitz, that's something different. That's something different altogether. Yeah, Out of the two, you... yeah, I would say Al- Auschwitz is definitely, as far as like centers of human suffering goes, Auschwitz is definitely more worth going to than Alcatraz. Also, and you can see so much more shit there if you get the fast pass. I don't <laughs> even like your jokes right now, but... Um, the thing with the thing with Auschwitz was hopefully that was a once in a in a world situation where it was absolutely horrible. But we still have a massive prison problem in this yes. country. So yeah. Alcatraz isn't really a museum to the past. It's more of just like you can pretend like you are like, you know, like yeah. you're your father in prison. No, it's in, it was interesting. It was interesting while writing this to think about the, you know, the men. and the, But it, it is it's a big concrete building. There's Did really you not go a into one lot. of this. Did you go into one of the cells? Yeah, it's fucking terrifying. It's yeah, awful. Did they small. shut the door it's, behind it's, you? They're very, very... No, I would not allow that. Uh, I'm very claustrophobic uh, I, and would not yeah. allow any sort of uh, fucking you know, shutting of doors I just on me in a tiny room. We have the largest prison population in the world, second maybe most to China. Uh, perhaps we don't know the numbers. I just don't need to cosplay prisoner. When I could easily just kill a man in a drinking and driving accident. <laughs> I mean, and the next thing you know, I'm there in real life. Walt Disney only tried to do it, but instead he made uh, Disney World. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was All a better, right. it, it was definitely a better plan. Yeah. Wow. Margaritaville on Alcatraz. Honestly, That's what Ben Kissel Give says. the island to Guy Fieri. Please. It's, it's too cold. Yeah, he might not like it. He's, he's yeah. a warm weather guy, but he does yeah. have a place in the bay. 
Oh, and also, yeah. you know what else? Uh, Alcatraz is full of eggs. And yeah, I was about to say, too many eggs. eggs. He hates eggs. He does. That's what we love um, our guy. Anyway, we totally derailed. But thank you all so much for listening to this little history of Alcatraz. I love this shit. Guys, yeah. um, Red Rocks. We are coming to Red Rocks. Um, we got news that we are the first ever podcast to ever perform Red Rocks. Um, uh, and that's not saying that the quality of that establishment is sliding i'm not sure that that's appropriate but it is true um but yeah. it, we are there now and we are very very excited to be yes. there buy these tickets we're gonna be there we're gonna be screaming at you what are we gonna say boys don't know yet. gas pumps work in this country <laughs> this is gonna be huge um check out our last podcast weed it is out there in the uh, northern california and in san diego there's yes. the boulevard in san diego and then weedon up in and down in santa Ana. those santa are santa those are socal so Cal, but then North California, if you dial 1 800 cannabis, you can get the last podcast in the week, the last podcast on the left vapes. Um, we got yep. three different strains, try them out. Honestly, we're so excited about the rollout we've already had. It's been awesome, very excited. Yes, thank you all to everyone who supported us uh, by buying the vapes. And uh, we're gonna keep those coming out 1 800 cannabis, give it a ring, and we're gonna figure out this stuff as uh, federally it becomes more and more obvious that it must be legalized. It must be. We will hmm. be on the front lines of that. And of course, we uh, we have a meeting this next week coming up with the uh, last prisoner project. So, of course, we will be giving back yes. uh, to the communities that have been most devastated by the war on drugs. So I know there was some concern or some uh, talk about that. You know, but of course, know, that's at the front of our minds. It's so nice because we, it's a, a definitely a pet subject here, like of criminal yeah. reform and Absolutely. criminal justice reform. Uh, no one should be in jail for a week. Absolutely no. not. So last prisoner project support them and we'll be speaking with them to partner with them. Can't wait for that. And uh, yeah, Red Rocks. Oh my goodness gracious. How awesome. And we'll see y'all in Grundy County. Grundy. Coming up. It's coming real soon. May 15th. Yep. And 14th. Oh. I'm going to have to get my travel. I'm going to get my travel shoes on. I, yep. bought a, I bought a suitcase at Target yesterday. We are there. Hey. Um, also, well, you're uh, actually going to bring a suitcase. You never bro, bring suitcases. I know. I usually double up the undies, double up the socks, double up the shirts, make fun of you clowns. Uh, but no. suckers, with you with suckers luggage. with luggage. Yeah, but now I'm actually gonna bring luggage. Uh, wow. I guess oh. this is growing up. <laughs> hey, you are, you are <laughs> under my skin today. Under. <laughs> and another thing, uh, the next episode in our series on the Beastie Boys on No Dogs in Woo. Space is out right now. Uh, so we've got three parts out of six out. So this is a great time to catch up on the first three before we dive into uh, the last part of the fucking career. Awesome. Right, sweet. Yep, and check out. We got new episodes of Someplace Underneath, LPN Deep Dives Dune. Please support these podcasts by following them on wherever you listen to your podcasts for Someplace Underneath and on Spotify for Dune Absolutely. and all the other fucking shows on this fucking succulent network of ours. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting all the shows and of course you can find us. We are available on the Instagrams of the world. Oh, I am thinking about getting on TikTok all nude. <laughs> all right, Finally, everyone. some <laughs> real engagement. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourself. Hail Satan. Again. Again, I, I, I said that again. I said, I said the thing. I said the thing as was required by the fucking contract. You don't have get to off say this rock. <laughs> Are you done saying hail gain? No, no, he'll never. He he can't be released. It's in his contract. I know. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction, and it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod.